Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us and we try to answer some of your questions about the Bible. Uh, we've got a phone number and a website on the screen and for those of you that might be first time viewers, uh, that those two numbers come in kind of handy. If you've got a question about the Bible or something in your life that you've always wondered about, what's the Bible say about that? Uh, maybe you've heard things that you think, yeah, that can't be in the Bible, that can't be true. Or maybe you remember some old verse or passage and you just want to know exactly where it is and read it again. We'll help you with any of those kind of things. Just give us a phone call. We've got operators standing by or log on to the website and uh, we'll get you an answer just as quickly as we can. Uh, that's the way the program works and that's all we do for 30 minutes is try to answer your questions. Let me introduce my sidekick here, Mr. Toby Lavery. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and studied up and ready to go. Uh, we always start with a question for our viewers, see if they know a little bit of Bible trivia. And this one's about a fellow named Demetrius. And what was his job? What was his occupation? Actually, it was a craft. He was a craftsman. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, let you know what Demetrius did for a living. And I think I got the first question today, so I'll just get right into it. The viewers got a kind of a technical question here about a translation of the Bible. Uh, the New International Version, the 2011 Version. Uh, why does it leave out the fact that Mary was a virgin? Now, the NIV was, has come out in a number of different times and edited a little differently and changed. first one was back in the 70s or 80s. I can't remember. I think mine's a 1984 version. Uh, but they've changed it a couple of times. And they made a new, today's new international version. And then in 2011, like this viewer says, uh, they made a few more changes. Uh, he's right about one verse anyway. I'll check this out. Uh, let's put this verse on the screen. In Isaiah 7, 14, uh, the older new international version says, The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Obviously a prophecy about Jesus. And then the 2011 version changed it from virgin to young woman. Said the young woman will be with child. <clears throat> and some people have noticed that and uh, passed that around on the internet and all that and said they took the virgin out. Uh, actually the virgin is still there in other passages. Uh, but in this one the translators thought the weight of evidence was that that word was more often translated or used to refer to a young woman, a maiden, than it was to strictly a virgin. So they thought that was the most accurate translation and they changed it. Other places in Luke and all that, they've still got virgin. Uh, the main thing they did in the 2011 version is they tried to make it gender neutral. Uh, the old uh, the old way of talking, the way we were trained to write English even when we grew up, 
uh, was he, when you're talking about either uh, male or female. Uh, the Bible says a lot, uh, every man, and it refer, it's referring to mankind. And the translators, the 2011 version, changed that, which says man, meaning mankind, they changed it to people, where it says he, referring to all genders, uh, they changed it to they. Uh, so <clears throat> they tried to make it more gender neutral. Uh, a viewer asked why they made these changes. Uh, I think political correctness is probably the, the main reason. Uh, but that's the way people are talking these days, so they're trying to change it. Now, there's a danger in messing with the original language of the Bible, and we won't get into that. But uh, the 2011, you can still find virgin in there, just not in Isaiah 7, 14. Uh, now, that's the facts. Now, personally, uh, I don't like the changes so much. Uh, I'm still using my 1984 version of the NIV, but I'm starting to use the ESV a lot more, uh, the English Standard Version, and I think they've done a really good job in that translation, so I'm starting to use it a little bit more than kind of weaning myself away from the, the NIV. I probably won't go to the 2011 NIV. So anyhow, that's what, what happened there. All right. Okay, the next question is a person wants to know, is there a book of Enoch? Uh, well, <laughs> it depends on how you're asking, is there a book? I guess the answer is yes and no. Um, and of course, there's a person of Enoch, and he's referred to in Genesis chapter 5, uh, about verses 18 through 24. Now, what's interesting about Enoch is the last verse of that uh, reference, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. And so that piques our interest as sounds like Enoch didn't die. He just, he just was caught up with God and he, he, he didn't go through the normal process that all human beings go to. So that piques our interest. Uh, there's a, a reference in Jude where he refers to that Enoch prophesied and he, he makes a quotation there in Jude chapter uh, verses 14 and 15. But uh, in reference to the book of Enoch, no, it's not considered a divinely inspired part of the canon. Uh, there are uh, people who have quoted the book of Enoch, but most uh, scholars believe that Enoch was a pseudonym. He didn't actually write the book. It was written by a different author under that name just because he's an interesting character in biblical history. Uh, I have not read or studied the book. I don't know very much about it, but I would say if treating it like an interesting book but not an inspired book uh, is kind of the way the attitude we take toward apocryphal writings, which is books that are not accepted, generally accepted in the canon. And um, so when you approach the book of Enoch or any of the writings of, of such, uh, I don't think you would treat those as something that is considered a divinely inspired uh, writing from the Word of God. And of course, this, uh, Paul said that all Scripture is divinely inspired as God breathed uh, and is useful for every purpose. So uh, that's my uh, short answer is interesting, but it's not inspired. Uh, it's not found in the canon. And of course, the real lesson of Enoch's life is found in the book of Hebrews. And we'll look at that verse together from chapter 11. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. 
For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly <coughs> seek him. So, uh, though there wasn't a book written by him, clearly Enoch was a man of God and uh, walked by faith in his life. And a uh, good example for us to follow. All right, <laughs> good answer. Uh, question about baptism this time. Viewer wants to know can you be baptized more than once? Well, obviously, some people have been baptized or <clears throat> dipped under water at least uh, more than one time. Uh, the question is what's the Bible say about that? Uh, the Bible portrays baptism as a one time event. It talks about it happening once and that taking care of things. Uh, that is when we are saved, that's when the Holy Spirit works a new life in us, that's when we're born again, that's when we're added to the church, that's when we become a child of God. The Bible says all of those things happen at baptism and it talks about a one-time thing. Uh, Paul writes to the Christians in Rome and he talks about all of us were baptized. He doesn't talk about all of us were baptized over and over again. Uh, he talks about a one-time event. Uh, there is one place in the Bible where you could call it a rebaptism or a second baptism maybe, and that's in Acts chapter 19. Paul went to Ephesus and he found 12 men who claimed they were followers of Jesus and he got to asking them about baptism and their answers weren't quite right. He, he figured out, they, I'm not sure what they were baptized about. And so he asked them, he said, what baptism did you receive? They said, well, it was John's baptism. And he said, oh, well, that's, that was different. Uh, John was preparing the way for Jesus. He was baptizing people uh, to prepare them to receive the Messiah. And so Paul baptized them into Christ. Uh, Jesus' baptism and he explained the difference to them. So that's the only place we find uh, where somebody was baptized again or rebaptized, if you want to say it that way. Uh, my answer is that the only reason to be baptized again is if the first one, if something was wrong with it, just like Acts 19, there was something wrong with what the Ephesian men had done. Uh, if it wasn't uh, real, effective, scriptural, whatever word you want to use, uh, then probably a re-baptism or an actual first-time baptism is what you really need. Uh, I put on the chart uh, three things about biblical baptism that probably are pretty good checkpoints. Uh, one, biblical baptism is for people old enough to understand. Uh, it's though he that believeth and is baptized. You've got to understand what you're doing. So if your baptism was when you were a child and had nothing to do with it, uh, yes, you probably need to be baptized. Uh, baptism in the New Testament is by immersion. People were put under the water. It pictures Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If your baptism wasn't like that, maybe you need to think about it. And the third one is baptism is for the purpose of forgiving sins. It's not for the purpose of joining a church or making you feel good or anything else. It's what forgives your sins. So if any of those things sound odd to you, uh, you weren't baptized for those or with those three conditions in mind, uh, then I'd say you need to have some doubts. 
about whether your first baptism was effective or not and perhaps be baptized scripturally. Now you're the only one that can answer those questions. Uh, so the some things to think about. But in general, no. Baptism is a one-time event. Uh, we get questions sometimes, I was baptized and then I've sinned since then. Should I be baptized again? No, that's not what baptism is for. Uh, we pray to God and ask for forgiveness, uh, all of that. Baptism one-time event. Unless something was wrong with it, then you might consider real baptism to take care of that. All right, let me take just a moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we have some courses, uh, free Bible study materials that we're happy to send to anybody that wants to study the Bible in their own home. Uh, we like to answer questions for 30 minutes and that teaches you a little bit of Bible maybe, uh, but not near as much as there is in God's Word. We believe it's got everything we need uh, for life and godliness is what it claims. So we like to study the Bible and we think private Bible study is a good way to go. So we've come up with a number of courses that we offer. We send them to you absolutely free. We pay the postage both ways. And what you see on the screen right now is a first introductory course. Uh, you see the first two lessons are the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's very basic. It teaches you to the main two divisions in your Bible. And then goes on to some other topics from there. Uh, when you're done with these eight lessons, you'll know a lot more about the Bible. A uh, great way to get a basic foundation. And then we've got more advanced courses uh, that go into other topics and cover a lot more of the Bible in more detail. Uh, we like to help you study the Bible and we'll do the best we can to get all these to you. Uh, but you got to let us know you want them. So give us a call on the phone number or the website. Let us know what you want and we'll send you lesson number one and you can get started. All right, Toby, question about leadership. Yeah, and especially leadership in the home and the family. A uh, viewer asked the question, what does the Bible say about male leadership in the home? And I appreciate the way the viewer puts the question, what does the Bible say? So I'm going to give you uh, the Bible answer. And uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and following. It goes all the way through chapter 6 even. Uh, here's what Paul <coughs> writes to the church he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And he says, He who loves his wife loves himself. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I just think these verses are so clear, and I get that they're not politically correct, um, but we have to trust that God's plan for the home and the family is uh, uh, the right and the, the best way uh, for human beings. Uh, you see here, some people get caught up in the idea of hus husbands being the head of the wife and all of that. Uh, but when you go through and read the verse, if a husband loves his wife in the right kind of way, protects her, cherishes her, cares for his children, and that's the kind of leader every family wants. Listen, I work with teenagers, uh, young children, and so many of them long for a godly father. And I've talked to many uh, women who are the only person bringing their children to church and are the only ones involved in, in spiritual elements of their home. And they, don't, they just have a, 
a father who's uh, maybe physically present but spiritually absent, not taking leadership, not taking any sort of um, role into how this family's going to be. Um, a great example, of course, is the famous verse from Joshua where he says, uh, for as, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that's male leadership. That's the way a husband ought to be, uh, not in a lording it over sense, not in a <coughs> domineering sense, not in an abusive sense, but in the right godly way. And you have a godly man who fears and serves and <coughs> submits to his Lord. He will lead his family in the right way, both his wife and his children. And that's the way God designed it. And that's uh, just, uh, the verses are just very clear on uh, us as men and as husbands and as fathers, how we at, ought to be. And I appreciate the question because there is a, a lot of absence, absentee fathers from uh, the family these days. And uh, we, we need to encourage men uh, to get after it and not be afraid to lead and, and to be godly examples for their wives and for their children. So, Probably the number one problem in our society is I agree. The, the absence of fathers, mm -hmm. either mm -hmm. physically or, like you say, spiritually. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, question about Scripture. Viewer quote Second Timothy 3.16, part of it, says, All Scripture is inspired by God. And that's correct. Second Timothy 3.16 does say that. Uh, our viewer wants to know, does that include the Koran? Does that include the, the, the book of the Muslims, the Holy Quran? Uh, well, first of all, Paul wrote that verse in the late 60s, about 60 some AD, toward the end of the 60s. And what he said was, all scripture is inspired by God. So at, the, at that time, in the late 60s, that's what he was talking about. Now, let's go one step further, a little deeper than that and look at what the Bible says about itself and about Scripture in addition to 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, and we'll find out that inspired Scripture, let's look at this chart together, uh, was completed in the first century. This is what Scripture says. Jude 3 says, The faith has been once for all delivered. It's been delivered. You've got the faith. 2 Peter 1.3, Peter said, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We don't need any more scripture. We've got everything we need, got it from God's power. And Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 explains that in the past, God spoke through prophets. But in these days, He's spoken through His Son, Jesus. And the apostles have written it all down, and that's what we go by. Okay, now all those were written about the same time as Second Timothy. Uh, somewhere in the 60s or around there. So by the end of the first century, at the very latest, Scripture had been completed, faith had been delivered, the faith had been delivered. We had everything we need for life and godliness, and God wasn't speaking through prophets anymore. That's what the Bible says. Now, 600 years after that, a fellow named Muhammad, a warlord who convinced people he was a prophet of some kind, uh, spoke a bunch of things, and people later tried to remember what he had said and wrote them down, and that's what the Koran is. Okay, uh, in no way does that qualify as scripture. And God wasn't speaking through prophets anymore. Uh, the faith had already been delivered. We had everything God gave us for life and godliness. So, just not even considering the Koran itself and what's in it and what it promotes, 
uh, not even considering how unscriptural all that is. Uh, no, Scripture was done way before. 2 Timothy 3.16 does not include the Koran. It is not inspired Word of God in any way. All right, let me invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we talk about a few each week because the Churches of Christ keep us on the air. Uh, if you've viewed us very long, you notice we never ask for money, and that's because we've got some good supporters that believe in the program and help us stay here. Uh, the Burlington Church of Christ up in Burlington, Iowa is one of our uh, fine supporters and partners in that area. Uh, they pay attention to what's going up on the broadcast in Rock Island, and uh, actually they the ones that uh, answer phones and take care of correspondence courses for us up in that region. Uh, so they're good folks, a good partner, and if you live anywhere near Burlington, uh, Catfish Bend there on the Mississippi, uh, stop in and visit them sometime. They'd be uh, thrilled to see you. You'd find a group of people there that think and study the Bible a lot like we do on this program. <coughs> And I know you'd be warmly welcome. Of course, you're welcome to any Church of Christ anytime. If you're ever near Wichita, stop into the Northside Church, Wichita, Kansas, uh, the home church of Know Your Bible. But <clears throat> drop in a visit sometime. We're, we're thankful for the Burlington Church. All right, Toby. A viewer asked the question, how do we know what parts of the Bible are God's Word and what is the opinion of the disciples? Well, uh, as we teach on this program, all of it is the inspired Word of God. Of course, it was written down uh, by men as they were inspired by God. But we trust and believe the Spirit of God directed those writings and that any opinions of the author didn't make their way through into the uh, commands and the sacred writings of Scripture. Uh, we believe that all of it is useful uh, for all different types of purposes, teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness uh, so that we can be thoroughly equipped. And that's in fact the verse that you see behind me over my uh, left shoulder there, all scripture is inspired by God. So um, that's our general approach to scripture in this program that we don't believe that there is any part of uh, the Bible that is not inspired and that's not from God and from the Spirit. And the danger in this kind of thinking as a philosophy that, you know, well, there are certain parts of the Bible I can believe, and there, oh, this part was clearly by the Apostle Paul, and this was a part of the culture, and all of that. Uh, you know, there, the danger in that is picking apart the book, you know, and, and we can get into, well, I like certain verses of the Bible, uh, but I don't like other parts of the Bible. And so the parts that I like, well, those are in divinely inspired. And the parts that I don't like, well, that I can you just dismiss those. Those are just opinion. So uh, you kind of got to take an all or nothing approach with the Bible. And that's what we believe here uh, in regard to Scripture. <laughs> Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, where Peter says pretty clearly, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For the, prophecy, for the prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when you approach God's Word, you approach it in totality, and you take the verses you like, and you take the verses you don't like, and you align yourselves wholly <laughs> to them. 
and uh, we believe that'll be uh, the best principle for living here on earth and both in the life after we leave this earth. <laughs> yep, good answer. Uh, I, I think there's one place, I think there's only one place that I can even think of where Paul one time said, now I'm saying this, yep, that's not, right. not yeah, the Lord, true, true. but he said, but I think I have the Lord with me yeah. on this. It, 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 I, I didn't, well, this wasn't revealed to me, yeah. but I think it's right. Yeah, not, not, not the Lord, but I, Paul. And I like that he says that because yep. he's saying, hey, this is, you I need to know I think that's the only place anything like sure. that close comes up in yep. the Bible. Yep. All right, uh, Michael the Archangel. Let's see if we know about him a little bit. Does the Bible mention Michael the Archangel. Well, it certainly does, uh, but only three times. And I'll put those scriptures on the screen for you so you can write them down if you want to. Uh, one's in Daniel, one's in Jude, and one's in Revelation. And uh, Michael's mentioned in Daniel 10. Uh, he's called a special protector of Israel. Uh, it's called a prince of Israel. In Jude 9, uh, it says that Michael was the one that protected the body of Moses from Satan. Uh, Moses died up on the mountain and uh, Satan wanted his body probably to make a shrine out of it or something. And Michael protected it, fought Satan off. And then in Revelation 12, uh, Michael's the one who leads the angel uh, army against the great dragon and his forces. So Michael's some kind of a, a great powerful angel. He is called an archangel. Uh, but we don't know much about angels and we don't know much about the hierarchy of angels. We don't know if Archangel's the, the highest or mid-level or <laughs> what he was, but he is mentioned in there, obviously a powerful angel of some sort. All right, last yep. question yes. I think we got uh, time for. Yeah, as the viewer asked the question, is there a lost day in time documented in the Bible. Yes, there is a story of time standing still for a day. It's found in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Got it on the screen for you. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. Uh, so the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Well, uh, did this really happen? Yeah, we believe it happened because it's in the Scripture. We don't believe there's anything in the Scripture that's untrue. And uh, if it's not true, then there's pretty suspect things about the rest of the Bible, I guess. So we believe that it's absolutely true. Now, there's some emails going around that, you know, some people found this missing day at NASA and, and they calculated it back to be this day. I don't know if all that's true or not, but we believe simply the very uh, verses in Joshua are true, uh, as all of the Bible is true and trustworthy. So you can believe it happened, and uh, if it's in there, it happened. I not only believe it happened, I wish I could do that sometimes. Yeah, that'd be, Just, that'd be very helpful. I, I, need, <laughs> I need an extra day sometimes. <laughs> but so far, that hadn't happened for yep. me, but yep. did happen for Joshua. All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And we would ask about Demetrius. What was the occupation of Demetrius? And he lived in Ephesus and he was a silversmith. And the reason that's important is because uh, the silversmiths in Ephesus got all upset uh, with the Apostle Paul because he was messing their business up. Uh, Ephesus was a big pagan place and they, one of their big incomes was tourists that came to Ephesus to, to worship the false gods and uh, they sold little silver statues of Diana and other false gods 
and uh, Paul came and started preaching the true God and uh, Demetrius' business started to dry up. So they had a little riot there among the craftsmen to try to run Paul out of town. All right, we're out of time today, but we were glad you've been with us. We hope that you come back next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.